Welcome, travelers. I'm Josh. I'm Glenn. And I'm Lee Wanika. This is Tabletop Journeys, where we will be your humble guides along the journey to RPG adventures. Role-playing inspiration can come from anywhere, and we use our side quest to explore TV shows, movies, books, and other RPGs that influence our playstyle and storytelling. Whether we draw from intriguing plot points, amazing characters, or, well, you know, just kind of geek out about it, it should be a fun trip, and we're glad you came along for the ride. from today's sponsor. Hey everybody, Mr. Dave here. I want to tell you all about... Oh, Mr. Dave! Mr. Dave! Hey Arnold, what can I do for you? I was just about to tell everybody all about the show. That's why I'm here. I thought of a wonderful way to do the commercial. Oh yeah? What's that? In song. It's educational. It's sensational. It's our puppet invitational. To join us each week for some fun. Sit back and relax. Grab some popcorn or some snacks. And get ready for the show. Sing along and get to know the sensation across the nation. It's a music-filled vacation. All your senses will be whirring and your brain cells will be stirring. It's the show you'll want to say. It's fun time with Mr. Dave. That was a great idea, Arnold. You can find Fun Time with Mr. Dave on Facebook and Instagram at Dave the Entertainer and on YouTube by searching Mr. Dave with an exclamation mark. See you next time. Welcome everybody to today's side quest. We are going to continue our uh, seemingly endless string of MCU side quests today because within the last 24 hours of when we're doing this recording, the next chapter of MCU Phase 4 hit Disney Plus. We're going to be talking today about the first episode of Falcon and Winter Soldier. Uh, and again, we're going to use a very similar format to what we did with uh, some of our other preview episodes where we're going to talk about where we think this uh, short series is going, what we think it's going to reveal, what we think it plugs into, and always we try to bring all these things back to uh, the tabletop role-playing game. So today, with Falcon and Winter Soldier, one of the aspects that we're going to talk about is how to return from a hiatus, and how do you introduce sort of the next phase of a campaign after it has hit a major uh, plot milestone or had a major event? How do you sh how do you transition from like, tier two to tier three, or from tier one to tier two? Because really, that is what the MCU is doing right now with the introduction of all this background material for its fourth phase. So we're going to start today with uh, what we think was revealed and where we think is suggestion. And so we're, let's kick it to our resident comic book expert extraordinaire, uh, Mr. Miller. How are we today? I'm doing very well. Thank you, guys. Glad to see you guys on the screens again. To say I'm a comic book guy is to really undersell it. I am the comic book guy. <laughs> And that is said with all hubris in tote. I, I mean that. And when you specifically talk about the Captain America mythos, I have one friend among many that is 
probably more of a Cap fan than I am. Shout out, Jason. I can clearly tell you that this is the item. This is the show that we have been waiting for. I really liked this show in this first episode. However, as great as it was for me as a deep Cap fan, as a deep uh, fan of the Avengers uh, C and D tier uh, characters, uh, as great as it was for me, it was, I think, in very in many of the same ways, though a completely different kind of show, going to be a bit of a challenge for those who are not. So in much the same way that WandaVision required a lot of us who knew to say to everybody else, hold tight, hang in, it's going to get better. I think we might be having similar but slightly different conversations here. Because while they started with a much more exciting opening scene, I mean, wow, that opening scene. That was so that was cool. Awesome. That was awesome. Yeah. I, I mean, that was, that, that was like, I was, I'm sitting here in my bed. I'm weaving and ducking. And I, I felt like at times I was going through the helicopters as well. And we always forget to say this right off the top, but spoiler alerts. I was just going to say, We're going to be talking yeah. about this one. <laughs> um, but I love Anthony Mackie. I love his, his characterization. Uh, I love everything he brings to that role. And every time he's on the screen, in every scene, I see that character. I there like I've never seen the guy fall down on the job. And I know he's been in plenty of other shows. He was in Altered Carbon, which I hear he did a great job there. Also, I didn't see that show yet. Um, but I know him that the first role I saw him in was in this show. Uh or, or was in Captain America Winter Soldier, and I loved him. Every time I've seen him in the MCU, I've absolutely loved him. He is Falcon for me. However, they originally did the character. They need to remember that Anthony Mackie is the only person who should play this role. He's that good. But again, it didn't quite carry into, wow, this was great. Not like Superman and Lois was, wow, that was a great first episode. Right. This has me fully intrigued, fully invested, but it's just shy of great. That's that's my overall. Yeah. Uh, so I agree with you and I certainly agreed with you more after I watched the first episode. I was, uh, I was sitting there kind of like, eh, okay, this is, this is pretty good. We talked about this with WandaVision too, where it's like, all right, I am now in a position where I am talking about this content on a semi-regular basis. So I'm in for the next six weeks to see where it goes because of my love of the MCU in general. And because I want to be able to go ahead and talk about the show. But my initial reaction was, Okay, so that's a that's a show about about the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and it wasn't. It certainly was not Falcon and Winter Soldier. It was there were bits about the Falcon, there were bits about the Winter Soldier, uh, and they were separate, right? Which is fine. Like they can do whatever they want with that. I also think that I want to say over time. I mean, it's only been out for like twenty four hours. Over the last twenty four hours, though, my opinion has softened a little bit. Like I actually feel like I'm ready to, for the next episode, and I kind of, I kind of want to see what happened here. And I think that the MCU and Disney did a very, very smart thing by putting out Wandavision first, and then this show that's following. It's going to be a truncated format, and it's going to follow a lot of the same pattern where it's a lot of background. We're going to get. We're getting, it's going to ramp up the action for the first two or maybe three episodes. The big pinnacle of the of the series is probably going to be be episode four, and it's going to it's going to kind of ride that pinnacle for the last two episodes of the because uh, it's only six episodes. I think that had they not done that with Wandavision, with kind of this really esoteric fans uh, comic book fan service episode to start, I think that I would be less welcome to see it again for Winter Soldier. But now that they primed me with Wandavision, and I'm like, okay, they're going to do an episode 
episode that's a little bit weird and doesn't make a lot of sense, but I know kind of thematically where they're going to go. I'm okay with that. Glenn, what about you? So I agree with you both and disagree with you at the same time. And it's a little weird to be able to actually say that, but check it out. Falcon and Winter Soldier, I think, was a complete and solid episode on its own. I think it was good. It may have failed to reach the great of Superman and Lois, but Superman and Lois took two hours to do it. Exactly. It was a movie. Right? Yeah, it was a movie length first episode. So for what they had to for what they had and the time they had, I thought they did an amazing job. I don't think that what we're watching right now is supposed to be major motion picture worthy cinema. So if that's what people are looking for, WandaVision hopefully will have started to change their mind. We're gonna get wicked cool scenes. An opening Falcon and Winter Soldier with an action scene. How could you not because of the types of characters they so are? So good, yeah. It was amazing uh, for both of them. I mean, and Bucky's may have been a nightmare, but still, you know, that's the Winter Soldier people know so far, the scary one. This is going to be... And he is scary. Uh, yeah, and this is going to be another origin story of them doing exactly what I think Josh indicated. They're, they're going to move tiers. They're going to step up from being second-tier Avengers to being first-tier Avengers with a team-up through the course of this series. So I think what we're looking at right now is a little bit of their background about where they are and what they're struggling with. And I think that's beautiful, too. And I'm gonna, I, I really dig the way that MCU is going with their storytelling. As a storyteller, I love it. But around episode four, I think that's the point where their backstories are really going to merge and they're going to team up against this the atrocity that is the United States government trying to, or any government, trying to traipse out and defile the memory of Captain America just to put a symbol out there, because that's a lie, not actual hope. It's just manipulation. Um, but them joining forces and accepting the fact that they're going to step up into those shoes, after all, is what's going to happen around episode four, I think. I was going to say, Glenn, you mentioned something that made me want to jump in and, and say something along these lines. There's a phrase that's used in, in cinema, specifically surrounding superhero and action films. It's called a tentpole. The interesting thing about a tentpole film is that the idea is that it holds up a tent. The thing that most films do is they are either tentpoles or they're not. What the MCU is now doing is they are putting out their tentpoles, but they are also building the tent. So all you have to do is look at MCU to get the entire picture. And I think that these series, much to your point, much to Josh's point, these series that we're getting right now are the tent that allows for the tent pull, right? They are the things that are filling in the middle section. So when we go to the cinema, when we get back into theaters, hopefully by the end of this year, when we can go see a movie surrounded by a couple hundred people that we don't even know and yell and scream with them like we're old friends, because that's what we're all craving, that we have something worthy of doing that. And it is easier to build that if the backstory is already known. And I know some people that are kind of, well, if you build it so you the movie is less good, if you don't see the, the show, you know, I get that. But we're comic book fans and they're building in comic book movies. Right. The same thing happened in comic books. You had your big crossover episodes every summer for most of the late 80s and all of the 90s. That if you didn't get all the little issues that went in between, you were missing pieces and parts of the story. Which is what made comic books great. It didn't mean they weren't good. It just meant that there's a piece that you didn't get as much as the person who did watch. I recognize it for what it is. It's a way of making a film and a television product or a film and a streaming product mirror the comic books that they're based on. And I love that fact. I think that's an amazing thing. And I, like you said, I'm okay with this. It's not supposed to be the tentpole. This is supposed to be that filler episode. I recognize 
and wish they had kind of done something like they did with WandaVision was give us the first two all in a, all in one. I think this, without having seen the second one yet, because Marvel is not throwing TTJ any advanced copies, hashtag call your boys, we will <laughs> gladly take uh, preview copies. I, I have a sense that if we watched one and two together, it would feel similar to what I felt about WandaVision after watching the two shows back to it, it jammed into one. So the one night had the opener and the second episode all in one that I think it would have been better. Uh, I think this could have maybe we'll find out next week, but I think we might've been better served. I think that putting them together though, I think what that does is it's creating that cinematic effect, right? And that's kind of what I was saying that we need to let go of with these series is, and I get why we want it. It's because MCU is so epic and so amazing, but We've got to let go of that and accept the short builder episode in what it is, because it really was a good from a storytelling point of view, from a, a writer's perspective. It was good storytelling from point A to point B. It covers the backstories of where they are now. You really get a feel and a, and a, a an actual humanization of the two characters when you look at where they are now. And it takes you through, hey, just exactly that. Where are they now? Next episode's going to build from there. So you got the Winter Soldier going through the ultimate form of PTSD, which we've brought up on this show many times. But I mean, for him, I mean, come on, it's insane trying to do penance. So you're seeing the effects on a hero of the things that they've had to do. But you're also seeing the humanization of the Falcon and the way they has to relate to his family. And that connection between like showing the real people's story, showing that the families who lost their loved ones for five years, let alone the ones who were gone for five years. So you got that dynamic. But then on top of that, adding in what it's like to deal with having somebody come back. All of that is great, epic, amazing, human storytelling. It's not Avengers yet. Let's talk about that for just a second before we kind of go on to our big major point. Do you think the Falcon's family knows that he was gone for five years or is he keeping that from them? I think that that was ambiguous in the episode. I'm not sure whether he told them a lie saying, hey, I was on mission for five years. I've been off fighting the thing. Or do they know that he was actually gone? No, his... Uh, his they were aware hmm. he was blip. Okay. Yeah, his All sister right. mentions the blip even at one point. Yeah, I think that was clear. What I found interesting about it and how appropriate to the life and times we live in today. You've got a person at a bank trying to prove his worth, which is a difficult thing under great circumstances, but he was non-existent for five years. And yet the bank is still saying you have to prove you income for five years. How can I prove it? Like a logical person thinks anybody who can prove they were blip, whatever document the government now creates for that, shows that card and everything goes back to where they were before and the job they have now. Yeah. You would think that would be logical, but here we are on the hopefully tail end of a pandemic. And there are still people in real situations yeah. where the effects of this pandemic are putting them in the exact same spot and they are having the exact same issues. And despite the fact that a lot has been done very recently to assist some situations there are real situations that haven't even been touched by the relief package that just came out. And I don't want to get too political, but this show and Captain America in general is political. And I think it's very appropriate. And it's wow that they got this good about it. Because let's keep it, this in mind. This was filmed last year. Right. Yep. While it was filmed leading up to and into the pandemic, it certainly wasn't filled in knowing about the stuff that just happened 
no stretch to see those processes taking time. So that part was easy to see. But yeah, absolutely. They nailed it. Yeah. I mean, they nailed that situation perfectly. So I agree with you, Glenn. Uh, what they did to come here, and, I, and, I, and I'm with you. We have to let go of some things to enjoy the programs we have. Further, what I loved about that scene and the scenes between him and his sister was that it shows that his sister, he can't help that he blipped for a year, but this would happen in real life if you think about it with family. She can't help it. She resents him because he wasn't there. She feels abandoned because he ceased to exist. And that dynamic of their relationship, which can't go anywhere but healing in the end, I mean, that's just powerful to me. And it's it speaks very much to the the fact that we will blame family members for things they can't do, they can't control, that just they are what they are. We'll resent our aging parents as they get older because of the toll they take on us. That's the way way we are as humans. And I think that's a really, really powerful piece of the story is going to be that development of that relationship between him and his sister. One of the greatest things that any fiction can ever do is relate difficult but critically important topics about the human experience. In an instance. And in... So and in a, in several scenes between a man and his sister in front of some random dude who has the thumb on their future. It didn't matter that he was a superhero. It didn't matter that he helped save the freaking universe. Think about that. He saved the universe, but there ain't no money in that. I believe Albert Bester, uh, please forgive me, Mr. Koenig, said it best in Babylon 5. Being a hero is great. But the pay, the pay, it just sucks. So I want to go ahead and, and uh, bring this into scope for one other si- kind of miniature topic, and then let's get into the meat of our episode today. But that is uh, a discussion that happened on our Facebook group earlier today, where a uh, fr- friend of the show and a friend of all of us, Benito, commented about playing characters who suffer from uh, from mental illness or something like that. And how do you do that? And are there... Are there rule either capital r rules or lower r rules that that help you with that and everything like that here is an example right where it is totally illogical that the sister resents anthony mackie's character because he had no control about whether or not he went or not and yet the reality is she resents him right right here are two people that are trying to go ahead and plan their future and 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 make their future happen and the loan administrator at the bank is just doing his job and needs to go ahead and he needs to worry about his number one. As much as they're concerned about their number one, he has to worry about his own number one also. So I think that this is, so here's another frame of reference that you can say, here are some things that you can work into your character as a role-playing point of view that add the sort of depth the human depth to a character and make that character more real. Let's move on for right now, though, to go ahead and, and kind of get into the meat and, and potatoes of this episode. And the first thing that I wanted to go ahead and talk about was how the plot was laid out and where we think the plot is going to go. So, Glenn, you mentioned this earlier that there was definitely one enemy sort of revealed, and that was the the government tromping out the um, the new Captain America, who who Falcon definitely views as a fake Captain America. I would say based on his reaction, so that was definitely one enemy, and all that was done over the almost backdrop of a terrorist organization, the LAF, 
who is beginning to rise its head and clearly has uh, I suspect I suspect mutant powers but that's let's let's see where we think that this is going who do we think is going to be the real enemy that this show uh, is going to be tackling with or do we think that it's both and where do we think either of these two elements or a third element that I'm missing is is uh, is introduced and where the, what's gonna factor into this show looking at the plot I mean you've got Two different guys whose person in common in MCU is, is Cap, obviously, right? So how are they going to be presented with enemies? I think it's going to go as opposed to mutant powers for the strength, because you had mentioned that. I think it's going to go the super soldier route, because that's that's what, Cap's show, that's what Cap did. Could be wrong, because, again, we've talked about the X-Men and the fact that they're in the same universe. Mutants would be a cool thing to bring in. But in the end, I think it's going to be both. I think that it's going to wind up being that the terrorist organization really becomes a threat. And America's new cap is not going to be able to handle himself. My prediction, because we're talking about where we think it's going to go. I'm going to make a prediction. I think he's going to get in over his head. Falcon and Winter Soldier are going to show up and save his ass. But the government's going to spin it like the part that went wrong was their fault. Yep. I think that makes sense to me. There are elements, I think, of what you said that were absolutely correct, and there are elements that I think will probably be slightly off. Now, the reason I said there's a cheat code is because I read some of the daily, not dailies, but I read some of the information leading up. I know for a fact Baron Zemo is going to make a return during the course of this show, and he's supposed to be slotted as the big bat. So, unfortunately, I knew that going in, and we haven't seen him yet for how he connects, but he will likely be the person setting these wheels in motion, Baron Zemo being... Uh, Helmet Zemo from Captain America Civil War. We did see him. He was one of the names on Bucky's list uh, was was H. Zemo. So we did see him there. And so there is certainly uh, the seed planted for that. Carry on. Uh, With that said, how that includes the Flag Smashers, which I believe have a comic book tie, but that they came in after my time. So I don't have a lot of info on them. But as far as this fake Captain America, John Walker, uh, I know him very well. He came into the comics universe around the same time as Wanda and Vision were getting their second miniseries. And because the government was doing things that Cap didn't like, he stepped down from being Cap. The government then told Cap, you don't own the shield, we own the shield, took it away from him. Actually, they ordered him to give it back. They also said, you're a soldier, so effectively you're going AWOL, because he was had never at that point been released from his military contract. He was still a soldier at that point. They got the shield back because it was theirs and it wasn't his. He went on to do his own thing. Uh, I believe somebody helped him get another shield or whatever. And it was, and he went by the name, the captain while this other guy took on the captain America uniform, but he wore the exact same uniform and the government was trying to make people think it was the same guy. He was particularly violent. He was particularly crass. But he was, in fact, a true patriot who followed his rules. John Walker wasn't the worst guy out there. He was also not the smartest guy out there. And while he was willing to go to levels that Cap wouldn't go for the mission, he was a true believer in America and the American cause. The problem was he wasn't as smart as Cap. And he was easily duped into doing things. And because of that, he was quickly feeding into these other problems. He... The uh, U.S. government at that point had some connection with the Avengers. They actually mandated that he be on the team, but the team didn't let him be the leader. He was abrasive, fought with them. There's a whole bunch of that, and I don't think any of that is going to 
get into the show. But the fact that he is basically not a good Captain America is definitely going to be a part of this show. What happens as far as who's going to take this from him and whatever, that's where I have no clue. Because in the comic books, Steve Rogers got a, got his shield back. We are relatively sure that that's not going to happen here. Right. So this is whatever story the MCU wants to write. And that's why I'm very excited. Because we get a different thing than Steve gets his shield back. It wasn't a year and a half and then Steve gets his shield back. And to be fair, they already ran that law, that storyline in MCU during Winter Soldier when Tony told him that it wasn't his to take and he leaves it behind and he's out as yep. captain and he's got a different shield uh, before he comes back. Yep, so they definitely couldn't just re-spin that. They, they've got to come up with a different way to, to write it. Yeah, they got to do something new. And if anybody's going to come up with something new that's cool for Cap and Cap fans, Kevin Feige, have at it, brother, because you got it. I mean, you absolutely got it. The interesting thing is, John Walker, at least in the comic books, while he's not the nicest guy, is a hero. And he ends up being a hero once he gets, he at some point gets the Venom symbiote and becomes Agent Venom or the first Agent Venom or something like that. So, I mean, he's got this whole story that we're not going to see. What? Oh, yeah, yeah. That character is pretty cool. I actually, I like it as a character. Like As Glenn said, if you're a storyteller and looking for deep story, he's a great character. I don't look up to that character. That's the key. (laughs) He's just a good antagonist who's not a true enemy. Uh, And I think that's an interesting take, and I want to see what they choose, how they choose to go with it. They could make him be the true sycophant. They can make him be the true villain. I hope they kind of go that way and show some new one, but we'll see. Wow. Okay. I mean, there's that's some crazy in what you just said there, my friend. I threw a lot on you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my, my theory was small. Yeah. 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 And yeah. Uh, his theory Which is, is why is I not... went last. I said it was going last for a reason. That's cool. <laughs> wow. Clarify a couple of things that you said in there. First of all, do we actually buy the MCU saying that Chris Evans and Captain America don't come back. Can we trust them? I think so. I think so, and I think so because Chris Evans thinks so. Right. Yep. Uh, he has said so repeatedly. Look, I'm not going to lie. Actors are actors. If you put enough zeros, they will make a cameo. <laughs> right. 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 But he's made it pretty clear he does not wish to be the leader of a franchise. Robert Downey Jr. has made it clear he does not wish to be the leader of a franchise. And they're not going to recast either of those two roles unless they end up rebooting the MCU. And there doesn't appear to be any plan to do that. It looks to me like they're going to do what I wish comic books had been had done when they did their resets in the mid-80s, which is let it run, let older characters get old, let new characters take over, and grow stories from then forward. Right. If you want to do a flashback show or reprint some other stuff or do an old story from a different perspective, do that. If you want to do a new story about the older characters in, uh, but have it be, hey, we just found this out about what happened at this time, do that. But let the stories mature. Let the characters grow. Let the things they do and the stories that are written have lasting impact. And what I think I'm seeing is a roadmap for a universe to ever expand, ever grow, and never have to reboot. And I like that thought. I may be wrong. Hollywood's Hollywood, right? Right. No kidding. 20 years from now, they could say, F that guy. Reboot this moment. <laughs> but I would much, 
I would much rather see the child or protege of Monica Rambeau take on a new role because by that point she'd be 20 years older. Right. Right. And if people only do four movies, they do four movies and then move on. There's enough heroes in the Marvel universe and there's enough story. And these guys are good enough at writing story that they can take characters in new directions. They can, they can go, they have already grown beyond what the comic books did. And I think to a large extent better. There are a few stories here or there that I think were better in the comic books, but the reality is, as a whole, MCU did it better than the comic books, at least if you go from about 1995 on. And so I would prefer them to just keep growing this without ever doing a reboot. I agree. That could could be epic. Just a constantly evolving, ever-changing universe where as the old guard ages out, new heroes take up the mantle that could be epically cool and hey maybe they will go that way i mean everything mcu has done since they started has been innovative out of the box and revolutionary for the cinematic industry now moving into the television industry i mean hey it could become just one big giant multiverse so i think that that's a fantastic segue to kind of the next big piece of this episode that i wanted to go ahead and talk about um and it is it is how one moves from campaign to campaign or from tier to tier and sort of how uh how this show did that in its first episode now liwanika you and i have had experiences at the table before where we have played multiple campaigns in a row that take place in the same universe that feature the same people but we but we're playing different characters either like the children of the people that we were playing the the campaign before or something like that or, or or something along those lines and so there was continuity from campaign to campaign and i think that the kind of continuity that we had kind of in that scope can definitely be applied to to tier to tier because we talk a lot about how you know when you're when you're playing in a campaign with with players by the end of tier 1 there should be some sort of some sort of climax or some sort of big event that sort of sets them uh, that that gives them some finality on some of the pieces that you've been that you've been working on and sort of pushes them into the next tier, right? And so how I, I've got some notes here about how Captain and uh, about how Falcon and Winter Soldier did that, um, and I think that there are a couple smart things that they did. For one, they really spent time establishing of reestablishing the people that we already knew from phase three and from earlier movies in the Avengers MCU universe, right? Spent some time establishing those characters. And they spent time introducing us to new, for lack of a better term, NPCs and what their relation is to the people that we already understood, right? So we met we met Falcon's sister. We met Bucky's therapist. We met the elderly gentleman that Bucky has lunch with every time. We met the bartender who he goes on a date with. Uh, all those, all these sorts of things, right? We met the the assistants that help Falcon when he's on his mission, who are on the you know the entire unit that he works with. All those sorts of things. So we met all those new NPCs that we hadn't seen before, but are supporting characters for the people that we already knew. So that was thing one. And then as well, you left out Rhodey. But we'd already met Rhodey. We, we like we already know Rhodey. Yeah, but we got to see him again. There was a I, he was there for a very specific purpose. But I'll get well, to that. Okay. Yeah, but we don't know what that very specific purpose is. And so why? Uh, okay. Well, I, I, I'm going to go ahead and throw this back to you, to support the point that you talked about earlier. I have no idea why the <laughs> Rhodey was there. Like I didn't. Uh, he was there for five minutes when when Cap put his shield in the box and whatever. And then he then he left. I don't know why Rhodey was there. As far as I know, it was a cameo. I don't care. Whatever. Not my. Not my bag. Set up armor wars. Ah, see, I thought it was a brother's moment. You know, they're the two protégés of the fallen <laughs> heroes. 
I, I think that is also it because you were looking at Iron Man's protege and Captain America's uh, Cap's mm-hmm. protege, and they were bonding in that moment, which and, is foreshadowing um, but, the concept uh, of Brody's character moving up as well. Exactly, but you also have a situation where Brody's trying to tell him, "Look, man, you should step up." He didn't go so far as to tell him to, but that was clearly where he was trying to lead him. That's fair. All right. Rhodey, and, but Rhodey also had already been through the concept of these kinds of powers in the hands of the government ends up not good, lest we forget one of my least favorite MCU films, but what clearly is calling being called to mind here, Iron Man 3. The government gets hold of Tony's tech, and what do they do? You know, and, and so Rhodey was, he's not Tony. He won't tell somebody what to do. Rhodey is a counselor yep. and lets people make their own mistakes. I thought it was a brilliant way of reminding us of that fact. It's a bit deeper and you have to think about it as a storyteller, but that's what I got out of those, uh, out of those two scenes. All right. So we, so fair then we, so not only did we kind of highlight who the stars of, of, of Falcon and Winter Soldier were going to be, but some of the NPCs that we knew from previous things, we established them as still being supportive and being supportive of the new stars and everything like that. So, all right, fair enough. I will grant you that one. I, I care more about Rhodey now after that 30 seconds than I did five minutes ago. Fair. Okay. So that's the one that they did. Glad I could help. That's the thing one, is that they established new characters who still support, uh, and they they reestablished old characters uh, who were there before, and really highlighted who the who the people stepping up from, from one level to the next level were going to be, namely Falcon and Winter Soldier. Uh, they, look, they were Avengers, they were in the movies, but they were definitely below the level of Iron Man and Cap and Hulk and, uh, and Thor and all those characters, right? Now they're at the forefront. Well, right. They were the bench players, you know, for somebody who got wore up. And then once they spent all that time establishing all these all these new tiers, all these new tent poles, as Lee Wanika said earlier, to support this particular episode, then they introduce a new big bad guy. A new big bad guy who has no basis, who has no history, who has no nothing. We have never seen LAF before. LAF wasn't in the comic books. Nobody has any idea who LAF is. Nobody has any idea what their relation is. We suspect it's going to be Baron Zemo, but we don't really know. My uh, son's theory is that they're the Dark Brotherhood from Skyrim. Uh, I mean, totally. I mean, they've got the black masks with the red with the red hand because print. of the like, red hand print. Yeah. <laughs> we are watching you. Right. Exactly. I mean, it's you know, it's totally, absolutely. I love it. You know, I was wondering if they're the black hand from uh, from Mind's Eye Theater. I mean, it's fantastic, right? You know, you got a bunch of time traveling Bruja who want to go ahead and you know uh, uh, bring back the Rise of Enoch, right? In any case. That's the way you go ahead and move from tier one, how you introduce the next tier or the next campaign. You spend a bunch of time establishing the background about why everything is the same. And then once you've established that everything is the same, then you take and here's the new different thing. And you slam it in the middle of the table and you let the dust rise and you try to figure out how your players are going to go ahead and respond to it. I thought that the way that they orchestrated that was fantastic. I like everything you said as far as the setup. I think it was brilliantly done. Flat agree with you that, about how they set everything up. And I truly think the standout character for me that was new was uh, Falcon's, Sam's sidekick, a la Tasha's. That was basically his spotter yeah. and his his eyes on the ground, his boots on the ground. I love the fact that he was brave enough to get himself into a situation with way the frick over his head. I love the fact that he wasn't mad about it. I love the fact that he wasn't, oh, my God, Sam, come save me. It was like, hey, man, this is my job. He was a soldier, too. 
right? He just went out and did his job. He got the intel the only way he knew how. And I thought that was brilliant. I love the fact that they had the restraint to not kill him and use that as the impetus to get Sam involved. That's great writing restraint because it's too easy to sell people on, oh, this is the guy that killed my friend. I better go get him. It's what I expected, honestly. I actually did. I actually said, oh, great, here we go. Uh, I was I was waiting for the letdown, and I'm so glad they didn't. The fact that he got hurt, got the intel, and he's like, okay, so now we really got to keep an eye on these guys was really well done. They did a great job of not giving us everything in, in that in that regard. And you're talking about Lieutenant Torres, who was played brilliantly by Danny Ramirez. Yes. Yeah, he definitely was a, a nice addition. We need more characters like him in film. I think I have a way I'm going to lean a uh, sidekick NPC character that I have already in game that isn't quite there, but I now know the direction I want him to go. When we talk about how do you take inspiration and what does it do for your games, this gives me a direction to go. Yep. I really like this character, and I hope we see more of him beyond this show. Yep. Even if it's in some other show, kind of like the role Darcy played, very similar situation. I like the character enough. I just want to see her more. Can this character lead a film? No. Can this character lead a show? No. But they can show up a lot more frequently, and I'd be happy with Right, that. just a quick you know, cameo for their bit of humor. Yep. But similarly, on the other storyline going on in the show, the blind date, I mean, it might have been yeah. for the Winter Soldier. That might have been just random plot moving to show that, you know, he was really, really torn up about the fact that he killed this Asian man's son that he's taking care of now and can't bring himself to tell him, even though it's one of his steps in making amends. So he's befriending him. Right. And she's pulling on those heartstrings by accident. And the scene's powerful. But there was just something about her, about the actor that they used for her role about the caliber of the performance that she gave about, I mean, her directness was a little bit too direct, but kind of like the soldier in the Falcons storyline, he had to be direct and bold without a lot of background. There just wasn't time. If he stays in the show, he can be developed further. I'm curious to see if she's going to be an ongoing facet of the winter soldiers healing of Bucky Barnes's learning to forgive himself. I have no foreknowledge, and I think it's a character I've not heard before. If it is a character I know of, they haven't revealed why I should know her yet. But I will say this, and it's extremely meta. In movies, people don't get multi-scene speaking lines for nothing. True. That's just a fact. They don't do it. Now, if you're reading a Tom Clancy novel, yes. If you're reading a Stephen King novel, yes. Any of these novelists that write very long, you know, 1,500-page books, George R.R. Martin, there will be people who get multi-scene speaking roles that their story doesn't amount to anything until somebody questions the author in some reading seminar a year or two later, and he says, oh, they have this huge backstory, blah, 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 but it never really amounts to much in the story. Because for a writer, you have to do all of the visuals with description, so you have to flesh out, even if it's just the rough basics of your NPCs and your background characters. You have to at least have the basics yep. down so that your audience that's reading you have it to know their it. perspective in order for them to play correctly. Right. But in film, nope, that's not how that works. In film, if you're in the film and you're talking beyond Mr. Johnson, your coffee. I like it when you get legitimately scripted, random background conversations in a scene. But yeah, if you're talking to the main actor and having a meaningful conversation, usually you're going to have something to do with the show. 
I, I agree. I suspect that what we're going to see is that she is collaterally caught in the in either LAF or or you know some some sort of terrorism event, um, and that that is somehow going to drive the the Winter Soldier to to certain action or something like that. I, I think that's the angle that they're going with that uh, because because you're right. We talked about this with 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 Wandavision and and uh, about Star Trek Discovery also. How when you've got a limited season and a limited amount of time, you've got to be very very choosy about how you spend that real estate right. when people are on screen and how you deal with the passage of time. Right. And so I think that this will be a way that they can establish like, hey, oh, you're back at the bar. I haven't seen you in bomb strikes, that kind of thing, right? right. And so I think that that's, I think that's unfortunately what her role is going to be, you know, because I, I think that this, I think the episodes, I think the season is too short to get Winter Soldier out of his, out of his shell. You're not going to, you're not going to pull Bucky out from where he is in basically three and a half or four hours. Not all the way, no, but, he could do for Bucky, Captain Rambo did for Wanda before she was awakened, when she was just stuck in the show, but she still became that extra force that helped Wanda realize that she was moving in the wrong direction. What I'd like to see happen with this character, and you're, you're right, it may be too short. I may, I may be dreaming. It might be my author's heart just running away with it. <laughs> you're right, you're writing the sequel, yeah. MCU has already shown us they don't always go with the trope, thus... When uh, Falcon's sidekick not getting killed by the big bad guy in the beginning. So I'd like to see. I mean, I think it could be wicked cool if she's never put in jeopardy. She's just occasionally a scene where he's hanging out with the old guy while he's trying to learn. And like they set all these cues and stages in the way that she presented her character that she's like super perceptive. Like her insight, she's got that. She's got it like expertise in her insight. And that that insight piece could be part of what helps him realize he is worthy and let him and helps him step up without her ever being put in harm's way to be the damsel in distress if she's just a guiding influence i think that could be even more power before you continue there saying that the mcu is not tropey is not correct oh no they definitely <laughs> like, do the tropes they don't like they definitely do always tropes. do the tropes okay but they couldn't have killed Lieutenant They're Torres in episode subverting. one because we didn't know that he was a minion yet. Right? We didn't we didn't know that he was a sidekick yet. They need to have him be a sidekick for at least an episode before they kill him. And I don't, I don't think that Lieutenant Torres makes it out of this series either. No, you think he's going to be El Tostado? Absolutely. From the perspective of Lee's constantly evolving universe, they, they he could be a great next guy to inherit the wings. Uh, I... Mm. He, he didn't look like he was a pilot guy. <laughs> yeah, no, he's a red shirt. At, okay, gotcha. At any, an important red shirt. But. Yeah, he, he's a red shirt. Or as I said in the game that I played today when I was doing a horrible Scottish accent, <laughs> I, I'm just in security and I've got red garments. <laughs> that's awful. <laughs> that is, it was just in security that, but and I love got that what? Part. Red garments. Red garments. What do red garments have to do? Oh. Oh. <laughs> oh. All right, so it took me a minute to get it, but I can at least do a Scottish accent. Uh, I mean, his it, I'm just his horrific Scottish accent didn't help. Yeah, I happened to wear a red shirt. <sighs> but uh, here's what I'm going to say. I think Marvel does tropes, but they equally subvert them, and they subvert them as often as they do them so that you never know going in exactly which you're going to get. Not as often. Get. I'd say and like 70-30. <laughs> okay. Okay. In the end, I think that they follow the tropes enough for because you have to to drag to bring the audience along. You want them to expect to a degree and they subvert the tropes the exact right amount of times to keep you guessing. And that is great storytelling. All right. I'll let yes. it go. That is actually what I was trying to say. <laughs> Look at that. I just condensed like a 
20-minute argument into like two lines. <laughs> it's a magic power. Which means we can cut the 20 minutes and just get down to what Glenn said. <laughs> I don't say that often, so that ought to be how we edit it. <laughs> I say that more often than you like to admit. You're just, you know, blocking them out from the trauma of it. All right. So uh, what else do we think they did uh, to to establish that this is a, a new chapter or a new tier? You know, we talked about how they set up the the, the structure of support um, and how they introduced uh, kind of the next wave of bad guy. What are some other things that they did to go ahead and set up that a, that a, a page had turned, uh, a new chapter was upon us and that the uh, the characters had leveled into a new tier? Second series in a row, they mentioned the blip and the repercussions of the blip. Third, if you count the Spider-Man, the Spider-Man. Far from home. home. I think that's a very critical thing that we're going to start seeing. I think as long as uh, through uh, through phase four, film and and streaming, we see repercussions of the blip, it will come across as this was epic. This was important. We are going to see the pain that that they could not show us within the scope of two films humanizing the story of what the populace is going through too. I, I think the concept, I think far from home did it well when people just appeared, but I think the Rambo episode in WandaVision did it fabulously when they just show people showing up in a hospital because everybody came back where they yep. were. Could you imagine people coming back, back in the street when a car is bearing down on them? Maybe somebody was skydiving. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Uh, you know, what happens if somebody was in the international space? Or the, the, or the, the pilot in the plane that got blipped out of existence five years ago and now all of a sudden reappears 35,000 feet above the ground. That's a bad day right there. He's, yeah. he's going to have his, a bad day. His, yeah. his yeah. re-blipping didn't yeah. last for long. It was terrifying. But I think that's going to be an ongoing thing, absolutely. And further, I want to point out that in both, the person who was blipped was discriminated against for having been gone. The people that were still here resented them. And then in Winter Soldier, we were also introduced to the concept of an organization, which is the new big bad, or that they showed anyway. They are upset that the blips came back and they want a world that was the way that it was to a degree. I didn't fully understand their motivation and how that related when Lieutenant Torres uh, explained it. But clearly, whether you were whichever side of the blip you were on, there's a line drawn in the sand. And we're going to see repercussions and misgivings on both sides as we continue through the Marvel MCU. It's the whole Thanos is right group, right? Like they, I mean, if you if you read Reddit, you find people. There's a whole subreddit about Thanos was right. So or even if yeah. he wasn't right, can you imagine having let go, put it away, mourned, moved on, in the space of two years, say, lived three more years of your life, and then have four loved ones suddenly pop back into your life? How overwhelming that could be! I mean, how much well, that chaos happened with it could be? Hmm? What happened with Ant Man? Yeah. How does how like his daughter grew up? But how, how about the the couple that just got married was on their honeymoon? And she's married to somebody else, like uh, poor Tom Hanks coming back from the island and Castaway. Castaway, yeah, yeah. has has kids or whatever. You know, I think the repercussions, the cost of the blip being explored in Phase Four is going to be awesome. And I think it's very clear to me because it happened so early in this series that it's going to be a focal point of this series. Um, whereas with WandaVision, it was a blip in time, so to speak, that uh, it wasn't the focal point, but it was there. So I like the fact that it's being right. focused. It was introduced there, yeah. and here it's going to yeah, get dug into more. I, I look forward to where that goes. I think that'll be that'll be neat. And I think here's something that's interesting that I read somewhere a long time ago. If you look at all the Avengers that got blipped, they were all the newer ones. Like all the original Avengers didn't blip. Of course not. They were the they were the face of the franchise at that point. They had to still be there. 
Right. If you're going to talk about what goes on in phase four, since almost all of the original vendors will not be Avengers moving forward, you have to now deal with this repercussions. They're not only the ones that have to be the Avengers, but they're also the ones that have to explain where they were for five years. So we may be in a line of getting series and shows to explain that piece. And I think that what we can pull out of that and bring to the table is from tier to tier and from campaign to campaign campaign to make those stories seem real and to make them seem relevant. What happens in one tier can and more appropriately should must have reverberations into the next tier you know if you fight the big bad in city xyz and city xyz gets damaged in the scope of that battle the people in that city even though you are now level 15 heroes and heroes of the realm and isn't that fantastic the people that live in that city might resent you going forward because they don't care that you saved the entirety of the universe. What they care about is that their five-year-old child got killed or that their house got burned down or that whatever, whatever, right. however you want to go ahead, whatever the whatever the, the repercussions are, those reverberations are felt from campaign to campaign and from tier to tier. And that's how you take a story and make it seem like it has it has we talk a lot about narrative flow, right? When you're talking about in small doses, how do you go ahead and have something which is narratively relevant? This isn't narrative flow. This is narrative progression. How do you move from chapter to chapter, from story to story, but keep that thread that ties them together? And this is how you do it. Well, what you do is you introduce updated or newer background elements. You bring them back to their background. Frodo returns to the shire. Falcon returns to and Louisiana. And then you yeah. say... He's not satisfied. He's not happy here. Things are not what he expected. He went off. He left to save his home and came back. And even though he saved his home, he's not regarded particularly well for it. One. And two, what has he really changed? He may have saved them from one threat, but all the mundane and regular threats are still there. Uh, and, and going back to the whole PTSD, to the PTSD discussion, isn't that something that so many soldiers who've gone to war come back to find? They come back to find, even though I did all these wonderful things, at the end of the day, I still got to punch a clock and I'm still struggling to pay my rent and I still got to make a bank note. That's a real thing. That's a real thing in real world. So how do you make that resonate at your table? Well, look, we're playing fantasy characters. We don't have to get that deep if that's not the tone of your table. But if you're playing an ongoing campaign that's going to range from 1 to 20, chances are you've got to have some slightly deeper tones in there. And it may be as simple as when we returned home, they're asking us for money or they're asking us to help this other thing that they should probably do their own. you got to have some conflict when they return home. It shouldn't just be easy, free room and board and go. There's got to be something or someone back in the home front that's creating some turmoil or conflict from them that either causes them to go back out into the world to handle it or ha give them a moment to stay and handle it here. It's got to be something that they as a person have to reason through, talk through. Magic isn't going to help them. Bardic inspiration isn't going to help them. Being strong enough to lift a couple ox isn't going to help them. If it's, I got to sell more crops, even a druid can only help so much. Those are the kinds of things they make for great transitional episodes, sessions between tiers. All right. So 
Wow, this was this was a really fabulous conversation. I, I I will admit freely at this moment that after watching episode one, I was talking with with you two and said, "Uh, guy, guys, I I I don't know how we're gonna do this. Like that episode, that episode didn't have very much. Yes, yeah, how are, how are we going to fill an hour of conversation?" about that i sit here in my comfortable computer chair uh my, my my poor pupper snoring in the background happily uh drugged out uh i sit corrected because wow i think that there is that there is more here um than, than i thought and i think that uh i think this is this is a fabulous discussion let's go around for some last thoughts um glenn is there anything that you want to add I just want to kind of reiterate what you just said. I uh, wasn't part of that discussion about there's not going to be a whole lot, but I went into the episode this morning because you two watched it last night thinking, okay, well, let's see what we got. But then I was I was really impressed and I really enjoyed it. And I think that one of the biggest takeaways that I would have for our listeners out there is kind of what we were saying. We've all been saying it as we go. You got to break your mindset of expecting cinematographic entertainment in a television show. These are going to be building shows. They're going to be backgrounding shows. They're going to give us great depth of character and awesome storytelling, but it's not going to be the level of Thanos. So just accept that. Take a deep breath. Step back a little bit. Sit on your couch and watch the show for the characters that are there and the story that is there because it is a good story. I'm going to mirror what Josh and Glenn have said, and I'm going to add this. When you're watching a streaming show, some of the things you don't expect to see are cinemagraphic visuals, right? So we're getting that. We're getting movie quality visuals. The action sequences are action. These actors are movie actors. And we are getting movie quality scenes from professionals who are epics in their craft. Just very good, strong, extremely good. And we are getting some really good, great performances from actors that we have not seen necessarily before or maybe not have seen a lot of. Rhodey's scene may not have been his best scene in the MCU. He brought a lot to it. And it made me long to go back and rewatch some of the other movies to get more. And Don Cheadle is one of my favorite actors anyway. So when he acts, I watch. That's just how the that's how my world revolves. I think that this is very much a, this is a theme through both this show and through Wandavision. The acting talent that they have on screen is impressive. It's really impressive the performances that we're seeing. You know, we we talked about this in in Wandavision how you don't often see superhero stories that come up for uh for acting awards. You know, you see you see soundscape and cinematography and stuff like that. Same thing with with uh with Wandavision, you know, we're seeing we're seeing really great acting. And so that's I think that's a great point to end on. And I truly look forward to more of it. I am confident that over the course of these episodes we're going to see more. And I can't wait. I am very invested. I will say that going into what Josh started with, the fact is that this show is a great show for talking about what you can use to bring to your table. We talked about a way to play sidekicks. We talked about ways to subvert tropes. Uh, We talked about ways to act out scenes or ways scenes go. These are all things that I think you can bring to your table to make your tables better better tables. And most importantly, we talked about how do you transition through tier. So there is so much in this show, much more than the show itself that we can bring to our tabletops. And I'm excited 
to get more again of that. I, uh, I'm really looking forward to the conversation that we're going to have in five or six weeks about uh, about how this season went and kind of where it wound up. Yeah, the closing of WandaVision episode yep. was pretty strong. That was a lot of fun. So this one should yep. be uh, hopefully yeah, on par. Yeah, a lot of, lot of fun with that. Thank you, everybody, for listening, and we will talk to you again soon. Have a great one. Thank you for joining us. This has been Tabletop Journeys. We would love to hear your feedback on our show today. You can join us at www.ttjourneys.com, where you can subscribe to the blog to leave comments and see all the content that we publish beyond the podcast. And make sure you join our growing online community. You can follow us on Twitter at ttjourneys, and join us on Facebook just by searching Tabletop Journeys there. You can also reach us by email at podcast at ttjourneys.com. And if you want to catch early access to our episodes and some of the other benefits we have coming down the pipeline, you can also support our production at patreon.com slash ttjourneys. If you're listening to us on Stitcher, iTunes, Podchaser, Spotify, Audible, or any other podcast platform, we would really appreciate if you would like and subscribe to the podcast. Full episodes come out every week on Saturdays and every Wednesdays. We'll feature our SideQuest series where we talk about pretty much anything tabletop-oriented. Thank you all so much for listening and for being a part of our growing community. And in the words of another traveler on our path, we bid you shade and sweet water.